Friends, our scripture lesson this morning is taken from uh, the, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Well, I don't know how many of you are watching the Olympics, uh, people having fun with that. Um, uh, this time, for some reason, I am watching. might be the fact that it's in Korea. That's was an extra lure for, for me to be watching. Uh, a friend of mine on Facebook posted that he thinks that it would be kind of funny that every time they have an Olympic competition, that they should have not only the athletes, but there should be like one ordinary person that they pluck off the street to participate in the event, just so you could see how good they actually are. <laughs> okay? I think that would be kind of hilarious, you know, to see this person, you know, the runners are going, you see this person like a lap and a half behind, you know, it'd be great. I think if I had to do that, I think I always thought when I could do luge. I mean, I just lay there and let gravity take over, right? I mean, how hard, how hard can it be? I mean, uh, so I always thought I could do that. But sometimes we don't have this understanding of when we're ready for something and when we're not. You know, we, we have these fantasies, these ideas that we're more ready for things than maybe we are, that we could do things that, that we're not yet prepared to do. Jesus had this thing that, that isn't as apparent until you study the scriptures a little more closely, where he treated the people who were following him in different stages as having different levels of readiness. And so, you know, you, you see parts of, of, the, of his teachings where he's teaching the crowds, and he says things to the crowds, and then what you'll see immediately after is his disciples are around him, and they say, Jesus, uh, we didn't quite get that. Could you explain that to us some more? And then Jesus gives his disciples extra teaching. He gives them a little more insight into what it was he was saying to the crowds. And in this passage, we see something that uh, is talked about a little bit less because we always talk about Jesus and the twelve. And there's actually also very clearly Jesus and the three. So he's kind of got his board of directors and an executive committee inside the board of directors, okay? And so what we see here in this passage very clearly is that he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And this happens more than once in the scriptures. He takes his inner, inner, inner circle with him. So you've got, essentially there's like four levels of people. There's like crowds who he just addresses, then there's like a much larger group of people who follow him. Then there's like the 12 disciples that he spends a lot of extra time with. And within the 12, he's got three. And those three he considers to be the most ready to see 
the bigger picture, to see what's actually involved, to see what's going to happen in the story, that they're ready to see this spectacular vision of Jesus being transfigured, of the appearance of Elijah and Moses, that they're ready for this, and that they're ready to keep it a secret, that they're ready to know this, and that only they would know this, because it says as they're coming down the mountain, he orders them to tell no one about what they'd seen. Tell no one. It says no one until after he's risen from the dead. So he's given away the end. He has told the three, here you have seen this spectacular vision, which they would kind of get a clue because if they're there and they see Moses and they see Elijah, they kind of get the idea that there is life after death. So they now understand. They have seen um, the Moses and Elijah they've, uh, with Jesus on the mountain, and he entrusts them with this secret that they're not allowed to tell until Jesus himself has died and risen from the dead. This knowledge, this understanding of how big the story is, that it goes beyond just feeding people, just healing people, just giving some teachings about what the, what, what the scriptures mean. The idea, the enormity of the story is a major turning point in the Gospels. See, the transfiguration story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it appears in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels. It's just a word that means same eye. So they, they tell the story of Jesus from a very similar perspective. They're not identical, but you see a lot of overlap. But there still aren't that many stories that appear in all of them. And the transfiguration story appears in all three of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <clears throat> and its positioning in the story is very important. Within the story, it is a turning point. It's a turning point in Jesus' ministry in that beforehand, he's just kind of introducing himself. It's kind of like how you, you see a movie, you see a story, and you see them introduce the characters one by one, and you get to know them, and you, you kind of understand what the issues are and who the players are, and then there's a point where it all starts to come together, and you see, ah, okay, here Here's where the story really begins. The transfiguration plays that role in the Gospels. When, when you get past this point, there's a determination on the part of Jesus to get to Jerusalem to finish his mission. It becomes very clear that it's, he has now revealed to his inner circle what he is about, and after this point in the story, he is ready to head toward it. That's one of the reasons why in the, the sequence of, of lessons that, um, <clears throat> that we follow, it's optional in the Presbyterian Church, but a lot of denominations follow something called the Revised Common Lectionary. It was just developed 30 years ago. Um, and it's a sequence of, of, of lessons that you follow, and there's, there's a theme and an order and a logic to it. But the transfiguration story is placed every year on the Sunday before Lent begins. The idea is that this turning point, this critical point from which you, you, Jesus embarks on a straight shot 
toward Jerusalem is the appropriate story to have as we are entering a season of preparation that leads to Easter. So that as we start to turn ourselves in this annual journey to look toward Easter, look toward the, the remembrance of the crucifixion and the celebration of the resurrection, that we do so with a determination and a fixation that begins as it did for Jesus' inner circle with the transfiguration story. So as we think about how this was a turning point in their ministry, what turning point are you ready for? What turning point are you ready for in your life? You see, one of the things about turning points is that they happen when we're finally ready to have them happen. So you can have things in your life that you've thought about changing, that you've thought need to be different. But maybe you weren't ready. Maybe in your progression in faith, you've moved through being one of the crowds to being one of the followers to kind of, I mean, we're not trying to equate ourselves to the 12 or to Peter or James or John, but you know what I mean, as, as a metaphor of sitting and saying that as we move in faith, we move from being more on the periphery to being more in sync, in tune, in line with the center of what Jesus is about. And as we move on that progression, we become more ready to make changes to bring our lives into accord with what Jesus wants from us. So there might be, at this point, something that you are now ready to take on as a move in your life that you weren't ready for before. And the reason why we have to be ready is because it's hard to turn. It's hard to change. I mean, one of the cliches that we always talk about with resurrection is that, but it's true, there's no resurrection without death. Right? If Jesus doesn't go to the cross, if he doesn't die, there's no resurrection. There's no Easter. You can't, e e there is no Easter without Good Friday. And so it's a cliche that we talk about it all the time, but it's a cliche that's absolutely true. That the reason why we avoid turning points in our lives is that they involve letting go of something. They involve letting something that's in our lives die in order that something new would happen. And we don't like to do that. In fact, I was uh, following the conference Felicia was at on, that she talked about before. I was following that conference um, on Insta, and uh, w one of those speakers had a, a slide up, which is true. He was talking about change, and he said, you don't change until the pain of remaining where you are is greater than the pain of making the change. And that's finally what happens. At a certain point, you say, the pain of staying where I am is greater than the pain of the change. But you always acknowledge that change is painful. We love to hang on to the status quo. In fact, the speaker said something I think is true. He said, that the two biggest things that people hate in their lives, number one, they hate change. And number two, they hate the way things are. 
<laughs> it's so true, though. They hate those two things. So if you're going to change, you have to give up something. That's one of the things, by the way, every year when we come to Lent that I talk about. Uh, you know, you have people, I didn't grow up with, with uh, Lent in, in my personal faith tradition. That wasn't a, it wasn't a part of my growing up. For other people, it's a very big thing. And so I know people who give up something for Lent every year. It's part of their personal spiritual discipline. They give up something for Lent. And there's one critique that I always have about that. Why do people give up something that they're planning to resume? When there are so many things in our lives that we need to give up and give up forever. If you're going to give up something for Lent, how about giving up something that will stay given up? Give up something that you need to get out of your life and out forever. So don't give up chocolate. We need chocolate. Don't give up bacon. <laughs> give up, right? I mean, give up smoking. I think most people have. At least that's been priced out of it. But, but give, up, give up something. Give up swearing. Give up, uh, <laughs> you know, give up being hot-tempered. Give up whatever it is that you don't want back in your life. Because, you know, six weeks is a long enough time to effect a change in your habits. It's, it's a long enough time that you can actually start something that can be a lasting change. So why not give up something that's going to stay given up? And that makes room for change. And as long as we're changing, everything becomes possible. You know, on the Olympics theme, there's um, an Olympics commercial that I really liked. Uh, of all companies from Toyota. And so Toyota did a series of ads. They're, they're a sponsor of the Olympics. And I just wanted you to take a look at an ad that Toyota did. Um, and it's called Mobility Anthem. Today is the day to take a step. Take a stand. Take that giant leap. There's something impossible out there waiting for you. So, we have a vision to make movement better for everyone. And the mobility being a metaphor for change that we have to make in our lives. That once we start to move, I love their catchphrase, start your impossible. 
That maybe there were things that you knew years ago would need to change. But it seemed impossible. And maybe you weren't ready then. But you're ready now. And this could be the year to make the move. To start making your impossible happen. Because nothing's possible if you don't move. But it's, it's scary. One of the things in the story is that Peter is so terrified he doesn't know what to say. He says he did not know what to say for they were terrified. And then you have this next verse where the voice of God comes down from the heavens and says to them, listen to him. And one of the things that I'm imagining in this scene is that here you have Peter terrified into paralysis. And how many of us have been at that point in our lives at some time? Where, where, where you've had something in front of you that you knew had to be, but you were terrified into doing nothing? That it, you were just frozen because you didn't know what, what to do next? And I always wondered, what, why, did this, why did this voice from God come down? After all, you know, this is the second time we hear this voice. The voice was there at Jesus' baptism. You hear the voice coming down from the heavens saying, you know, this is my beloved son. Why do you hear it here? And I think when we put these verses together, there's an answer. We hear it here because that voice is needed to shake Peter out of his fear. You know, sometimes, I've never had this happen in real life, but sometimes you see in the movies or something like that, you have a person who is terrified, they're scared, they don't know what to do, and so like their best friend slaps them in the face to get their attention, to get them to move. I kind of think that's what the voice of God does to Peter here. He's so terrified, he doesn't know what to say. And then this cloud comes in, and the voice of God comes, and it's like this wake-up call to Peter. Peter! Peter! What do you mean you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do? Follow. Listen. And I think that that shook Peter out of his terror out of his paralysis. And I think that's something that the gospel can do for us. That if you're thinking that you're ready for a turning point in your life, that if you think you're ready to turn more toward God, but the prospect of the change that that requires is terrifying. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the voice telling you what you need to do, that what's right and what's good and what's necessary in front of you. Let the voice of God, let the word of God shake you out of your fear. Let it help you overcome the fact that change is scary. And let it propel you forward. So that something, something in your life that you know needs to change. Something in your life 
that seemed impossible before is something you're ready for now. Start your impossible. Spend these next six weeks with your eyes on Easter, with your eyes on the resurrection promise, with your eyes on the idea that letting something go that needs to be gone from your life can be the start of something new that will lead you into the rest of your life. Amen.